Once again, happy Mother's Day to your moms, amen, and to our mothers in God's plan and His design. From the very beginning, uh, He made both male and female and the role of the mother. And I tell you what, I have such a wonderful mom, and we know from the scriptures that uh, anything good that we find in God's creation, even in, in spite of the fall, is a reflection of His goodness. And what we can do is take, let's say, for instance, the love of a mother, the compassion of a mother, the, the c concern and care of a mother, and just multiply it infinitely, and that's who God is. That's, those are His attributes. Those reflect His character. Amen? Because He created both male and female and motherhood. So in a time and a day where we live in where there's so much controversy about what a woman is, I can tell you that in the good sense that whatever good we may find even in our uh, mothers who are living in the fallen nature, that's a reflection of God and His goodness. Amen? So well, I have a no excuse personally to not understand how good God is through the fact that I have such a good mother. I will stand before God and he'll ask me, well, didn't you have a good mother? And I'll have to say yes. And he goes, well, that's me multiplied infinitely. And I would have to stand there uh, without excuse to say, oh, I didn't know who you were. So um, I love the idea that God himself compares his attributes and his characteristics to mom's. Uh, I don't know if you remember when Jesus stood over Jerusalem and he wept because they were uh, rebellious and because they were so far from God's heart. They were not repent, repenting for them, their sins. And, he, and, and he, he was close to the cross. It was days away. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, how often would I as a mother hen would gather its chicks have gathered you to myself. He compares himself to a mother hen in that he would have gathered them and protected them and shielded them, right? Loved them compassionately, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't accept his gift. They wouldn't accept him. Amen. So, happy Mother's Day to your moms and to your moms. That's two, two ways, right? I like the songs... Um, that you, um, uh, Tanya and Ade sung. Uh, the second one says, remember. And in our passage, we're going to see Paul say to the Ephesians twice, remember. And also, in the first song, it, um, it reflects the idea that um, uh, God, God's the only one who can receive all the glory and honor. It's not about us. Amen. It's about him. And that's what he's... That's what this passage is about in, in the, the last part of chapter 2 that we're going to look at today. Um, starting at verse 10 where we left off. So um, I want to just pick up from there. If you don't mind just uh, right where you're sitting, uh, I'll just pray, pray with you. Uh, and then we'll, I'll just pick up right at verse 10. Amen. Uh, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So uh, let's pray for the sermon and then we'll get started. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you again for Sunday morning. Thank you again for opportunity, Lord, to worship you, to fellowship, to listen to what you would have to say to us. 
Uh, and also, Lord, in considering what you say to us, to apply it to our lives with the intention of living these things, practicing them, doing them. And may everything be for your honor and glory, we pray. Protect us, Lord, as we preach your word. Uh, guide us and lead us. Uh, make every provision, Lord, so that your work and your word find a place in our hearts. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I do like this verse uh, we left off on. And I thought, like, on Sunday I didn't really give it justice because it was the last part of what I preached on Sunday. This idea that we're his workmanship. So someone's working. We know who that is, right? Who did the work of salvation in our lives? Well, Christ. Uh, uh, through the plan of God the Father and through the implementation of the Holy Spirit. And so this idea of we are his workmanship, I mentioned uh, last Sunday as, uh, as I studied the word workmanship, not really a good translation in English. So the idea is there, but it kind of lacks kind of a little bit more detail. It's, the word is poema. It's when we get our word poem. And I mentioned that last Sunday and uh, try to emphasize that a little bit, that uh, poema we would say, how does that relate to work, workmanship? Well, every poem has an author, correct? Every poem has an author. And therefore, God is saying through Paul and Paul's pen in the Greek, which is more precise than the English translation, that God is the author of our salvation. That's the point. Okay, so when he says we are his poema, I mean, obviously, uh, the life of the Christian should reflect the glory of the one who composed us, who composed the salvation of the Christian. So you compose a poem, you have an author. So the idea here is that God is the author of our salvation. If he's the author, that means he's the beginner and he's the end of our salvation. He's the beginning and the end of our salvation. And workmanship here uh, reflects that salvation comes from God, is from God. He should get all the glory. That's why in the same chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, For ye are saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing. What's not your own doing? Salvation. Salvation is not your own doing, right? And it goes on to say, It's the gift of God. It defines salvation as a gift. Who gi who's the giver? God's the giver, right? And... It's not a result of works. So it's nothing that you do, nothing that you can attain through your own merits or efforts. That's pretty clear. So that no one may boast. No one can brag as to their salvation being something they did. Who gets all the glory? God does. Amen? You'd be surprised how many believers believe or think that they have something to do with their salvation and there's a pride factor in there. No, all you can do is receive it by faith. And it's an act of humility because the first thing you must do to step into salvation is repent of your sins and confess them. 
That's an act of humility. You realize there isn't anything you can do to forgive your own sins or have them forgiven, right? So the whole process is one of humility and of recognition that God is the one who has worked this out, this plan of salvation. I'm so glad that he did. Because it's a miserable existence to try and see if you are good enough. Ask my friends who are Muslim, how do they know they're saved? And they say, we don't. We just hope we are that day we wake up in eternity after death. And that we did enough good to earn salvation. It's a miserable existence to have no security. Right? No confidence. Paul is confident that this good work that he began. What good work? Philippians 1.6. What good work? The work of salvation. It always goes back. Who worked it? Christ did at Calvary's cross. It is finished. What's finished? The payment plan. Right? To obtain and to secure salvation. So, yes, it's not about us. It's about him. Amen? And we're to remember that. And we're going to see here. So, I like um, the idea then that Paul has... When he talks about our salvation, he also talks about the fact in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, and we've already talked about being in Christ from Ephesians all the way back to chapter 1, that that's only possible by faith, right? He's a new creature. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. You're a new creation. You're born again, right? And... Old things have passed away. They're gone. They're in the past. And behold, all things become new. So we are new. And why we worship and why we're here is because we're not the same person we were before. I know I'm not. Thank goodness. That person died with Christ at Calvary's cross. So we move on to verse 11. I thought I would just pick up from verse 10, just to be able to reinforce what we saw last week. And since it was the last thing I mentioned, I probably didn't have enough time in it. And there, now look at verse 11. Now, verse 11 through uh, 22 is going to talk about God's work among us. How God works among us. Up to verse 10, uh, where we were just a minute ago, it's God work, God's work through us. All right, so he works through us. We see that, salvation. And he now works among us. He's working among us as a body. And at the beginning of the chapter, it was God's work for us. It was through Christ. Amen? So he works for us in Christ. He works in us to bring us to salvation. And now he's going to work through us to the world, out from the church to the world. And so he says this in verse 11. Start right here. Therefore, remember... You know, it's said that if you forget history, the tragedy of that, I know George probably knows what it is, you're liable or probably going to repeat it. I know I didn't say exactly that, like it's quote. The idea here is we forget where we came from, what we were saved from, what God delivered us from. If we don't have a sense of appreciation and a sense of gratitude to God for what he's done in rescuing us, we're more likely just to go right back to it. Because we don't understand how great a salvation we have 
So he says, therefore remember that one time in the past, right, you Gentiles, talking to the Ephesian church, talking to us today, in the flesh were called, or are called the uncircumcision by the, what is called the circumcision. So that's pretty easy. We were, that is, the Gentiles were considered by the Jews, the circumcised. They, we were considered the uncircumcised, or basically we were the heathens. That's what they saw us at. That's what he's referring to here. Right? And they were so proud of their circumcision, a pride that was not healthy and contributed to their doom, in that they realized that, okay, you can do some cutting on your body, but that doesn't mean your heart has been touched. And this is the difference now that we have with faith. It's from the heart, not an outward ritual cutting of the flesh. They were so proud of it. Now, God did give it, that is circumcision, uh, to Abraham as a sign of a covenant. But the covenant is important, more important than, uh, than uh, boasting about the fact that you've been circumcised. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. If it, all that happened was a cutting of the flesh, nothing happened. It's supposed to have reached your heart that you were a peculiar people. You were a nation of kings and priests. You were distinct from all the other nations. God chose you to be a light. God chose you to be salt of the earth. And we know that they failed in many ways miserably. But God was still faithful to his word. So he says, therefore remember that in one time, you Gentiles, hey Ephesians, you Ephesians, you were uh, once uh, considered outsiders of the uh, covenant of God. Well, they were. God dealt with Israel first. That doesn't mean that he wasn't going to deal with the Gentile world later. But first he dealt with the Israel. So he needed a nation to be allied to the world. That's why he took them out of Egypt. That's why the law was established. Very easily the law of Moses could be considered like their constitution. God was forming a new nation with new rules and ways of living that reflected him and his righteousness. That's what that whole deal was about. They came out three million without, they were not a people. They were, a tri they were tribes when they first went in. They were slaves for 400 years. So God takes them out and says, now I'm going to fulfill what I promised Abraham and I'm going to make you a nation of kings and priests, a holy nation, a peculiar nation, distinct and different from the other nations. That's true, we know that. Now he's saying to the Gentiles who were not circumcised, right? He says, remember that at one time you were separated. Remember at one time you were outsiders. Look at verse 12. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, they were not citizens of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Because the promise were made to Abraham and to his descendants. Right? Having, and because of that, notice, they had no hope and they were without God in the world. Remember, starts verse 11. Remember, starts verse 12. And remember when we take the Lord's Supper, what we're supposed to remember, what Christ did for us. We're a people that should remember the past and not let go of it. 
remember our, our history. And by having acknowledge what we were, we also have the ability to understand where we are now. If nothing's changed since you met Christ, nothing's changed. <laughs> That's what it means. You're still foreign, strangers, separated, because nothing's changed. You can say you have the faith, but if that faith doesn't produce fruit, righteous fruit, then you're just saying you have faith. But you're not actually living it. How do you live it? By trusting God and by leaning into God, by walking with God, by trusting God in everything and all things, following His Word, having communion with Him. So remember, verse 12, that you, speaking to the Gentile Ephesians were at that time in the past separated from Christ. Alienated. You know, excluded. Uh, we hear a lot about inclusion, exclusion. Well, they were excluded from being citizens among the people of Israel. They didn't know anything about the covenants and the promises that God had made to them. They lived in the world without God, without hope. That's what it's saying there. They were According to John Stott, a very respectable theologian, that I was reading his book once, he says, Gentiles were Christless, stateless, in other words, they had no citizenship, friend, friendless, hopeless, and godless. I like that. But I mean, I don't like that position. I like how that's described. You know what's one of the tr uh, most difficult things for me to think of about hell? is that you will be eternally separated from God with no hope of returning. You have it now. I know they talk about fire and they talk about gnashing of teeth and wailing. And To me, the idea is that you had the chance to connect with Him here. You said no to Christ, so you're separated from Him. The thing that really just totally gives me the just freaks me out about is the idea that you will eternally be separating yourself from God. Forever going in opposite directions. Never to have even the opportunity because you lost it here to ever be joined with Him. To me, that's the most difficult thing when you think about being without God, being separated from God. We are now when we were in our sinful condition before, but that doesn't mean we have to stay that way. We can be united to him through the cross. That's what we're going to see here. So to be without Christ, if we look at this first two chapters, is to be without spiritual blessings. It's to be without light. It's to be without peace. It's to be without rest. It's to be without safety. It's to be without hope. It's to be without the prophet, Jesus, in other words, knowledge of the future, without a priest or a, a mediator, or without a king, someone who will rule over us, that loves us. To be without Christ is all of those things. And that, that's what we once were. See, that's how Paul addresses this. Remember, you once were. That's not how we are now. Right? Because look at the next verse. And everything seemed hopeless for the Gentiles. 
Look what verse 13 does. But now, there's a transition. God, through His Son Christ, to a hopeless, godless, peaceless, restless people, intervenes with the message of His Son Christ in the Gospel. The word intervene is so wonderfully describes what God did through His Son. We were in a condition in which we could do nothing about, lost in our sins, and He stepped, He intervenes and He steps into time and space through His Son, Jesus Christ. He stoops down to us since we can't reach Him. He reached down to us in a sign of mercy at the cross, and He gave us a way in, access through His Son. So as a special ed teacher, um, I like to use the word intervene a lot when I talk about when we provide services to students. See, students that have learning disabilities can't learn the same way that students that don't have them. And it could be auditory learning, processing delays, it could be visual, it could be all kinds of things, attention deficit, and then things uh, that are even uh, more difficult, like autism, where the Kids live like in another world in their minds. The resource specialist, which is what I do, is supposed to step into the needs of that particular individual and provide services. You're intervening to provide support, to provide help, to provide some strategy or technique or service so that student can somehow, some way, be successful. That's what God did. He stepped into our condition when we were hopeless and without an answer or a solution. He intervenes to provide us with a solution in His Son, Jesus Christ. Once we were separated, once we were alienated, not members of this kingdom that He had established with Israel. So verse 13 is a key but now, okay, all those other things are true. We talked about the fact that they were without blessings, without light, without peace, without rest, without safety, without hope, without a king, without a priest. In God's economy, we can't approach Him on our own. We need a priest. We need someone to be a mediator in between us. So it's often described that the cross takes God... And takes man and puts them together through the cross of Christ. That's what we see here. So he says, but now, and notice what it, how it, Paul writes this, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I know I'm going to say this again, and you're probably going to say, well, Pastor, you said that about this other verse. This is one of my favorite verses because of the two words, far off, brought near. Yeah, we were once far off, far, far from God, brought near, near God now. How? Why? Because of the blood of Christ that reconciles us. He takes those of us who were enemies of God and makes us friends. In Spanish it makes more sense because the word enemies, enemistad, the, the word uh, for friends is amistad. 
So he takes the enemy, the, um, the enemigo, and he makes it amigo. <laughs> he makes you an amigo. That's who Christ is. And there's a description of Christ that he is our friend. And he looks for us. He befriends us. When we were once far off, now we've been brought near. How were we brought near? By the blood of Christ, the payment, the, the work of Christ. Amen? It's okay if you guys say amen every now and then to kind of encourage the pastor. Okay, amen, pastor. Thank you. <laughs> Not that I need it. Just it feels good. For he himself is our peace, refer, referring to Christ. Well, of course, he's the Prince of Peace. What does it mean to, that he's our peace? Well, peace is the cessation of againstness. It means that God's against us, againstness ceased. So he's no longer against us in Christ. He's for us. God be for us, who can be against us? So it's cessation, meaning for, to cease, againstness. No longer against. Why was he against us? Because we were lost in sins and trespasses. But now we're not because of the blood of Christ. We've been pardoned. We've been forgiven. It's been, the slate has been clean. Thank you very much. <laughs> but now in Christ, you who were once afar off have been made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Hey, if you're at peace with God, you're at peace with everything else. Because everything else or anything else doesn't matter. It, it's the contrast. If the one who could not just destroy your body, but their soul. Remember Jesus said that, hey, don't fear the man that will take, destroy your body, but fear him who could destroy your soul or send your soul as a consequence of condemnation, not, not because... He's, he is a God that's out there just trying to be mean. There's laws. There's justice. There's righteousness. There's a standard. We don't live to the standard. Then we pay the penalty of that standard. If you speed and go uh, 75 miles faster in a, in a, a neighborhood zone, you're going to pay a steep price. And hopefully the penalty helps you or tries to encourage you to not do that again. So there's justice. And so by Christ coming and taking what we rightfully deserved, that is God's punishment and condemnation because of our sins, if he takes it on himself, as Isaiah 53 describes, that he bore all our iniquities, then the peace has been established because God accepts his payment, his suffering on our behalf. It's called the great exchange. So he made he he himself is our peace. If you want peace, you need to know Christ. It's not a formula. It's not a, a a book I can write with ten steps to peace. It's a person. It's not a philosophy. It's not a dogma. It's a person. Peace is found in Christ, the person of Jesus. You know Christ. You know peace. You don't know Christ, you have no peace. Uh, I've seen a bumper sticker that said that. No, K-N-O-W, Christ. K-N-O-W, peace. N-O, Jesus. No, N-O, peace. 
That was a highlight of my sermon. And you guys just sat there. <laughs> peace is important. You know how many people are suffering right now because they don't have peace? They look for ways to find peace. Uh, in, in the education world, we call it self-medication. In my world, I say, call it what it is. You know, students uh, bring alcohol to school. You know, students smoke pot at school. You know, students are exchanging other drugs at school. Why are they doing that? For fun? No, everything always leads back to the fact that they're trying to self-medicate. They're trying to find a way to not have to deal with their current circumstances. It's a way to escape it, if you would. But unfortunately, it leads to worse or things that are far worse, ultimately. People look for peace in a bottle. People look for peace in drugs. People look for peace in, I don't know, supposed earning money or having a more of an income or, I don't know, playing sports. Everything, anything and any, anything you do to try and find peace that's not found in Christ is idolatry. You're making that more important than Christ and the peace that he offers you. So when he says it, he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, in his body, the dividing wall of hostility. And I talk about that for a minute. A dividing wall of hostility. Let me get to this thing here and see if I can get it to work. So, we got past that. No, we're right there, right? He created himself right at the top. Dividing wall of hostility. What does that mean? I don't know if you can see this. There's a temple. The Gentiles could only come into this area. It was called the court. Notice that there's a gate called beautiful. So this is now, these are walls. There's the temple. And then the women could come in here. The court of Israel, the men could come in here. Then the altars in here, that was for the priests, plural, the Levites. And then only one person could go into the holy place. Anyone know who that was? The high priest. Notice it gets smaller as you get closer to God. It gets more exclusive. So the Gentiles could only come to this point. But there was a wall that separated them from going further in. The Jewish or the women of Israel could go to this court. They were separated. Then the rest of the men would come in here. Then there would be the priests who were doing the altar and the sacrifices. And then once a year into the holy place would go. And that was right there. Could go the high priest. So he says here, what has Christ done? Go back up. He's, he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. I like that. The wall that separated Jews from Gentiles, which is what ha initially uh, was happening with God calling Israel initially to be his chosen people. But God had a plan that all people would be able to enter into his presence through Christ. So some people call it the wall of partition. 
it's been broken down. For centuries, this was what caused hostility between uh, Israel and the Gentiles. Uh, because, you know, after all, the Gentiles aren't keeping the law. Well, of course they're not. They didn't have it. They didn't know it. So, but the Jews or the Israel would take some sense of pride in that too, on top of that. And remember he mentioned circumcision. And those are all things God established, but they separated people. And God needed to do that initially to have a standard in Israel, a model, an example to the world of what he required. They themselves didn't really live up to it. That is Israel, right? They went taken into exile to Babylon. The ten tribes of the north were taken into exile into Assyria for disobeying. They were brought back because God still had to fulfill his promises to the Jews and the one Jew who mattered, Christ. So they came back, they rebuilt the temple, Herod did, and in the time when Jesus came, we know what happened, they reject him, and then ultimately in the year 70 AD, Rome sacks Jerusalem, and it wasn't until our century, the past century, that they returned to the promised land, which was one of the promises God made, and that would be a sign of the last times. Right? They're there. And so, that separation the dividing wall there at the end of verse, that's been broken down by Christ. Everyone has access now to, the, to, to Christ, uh, to the Father through Christ. Everyone has access into the Holy of Holies. Uh, it's called the throne of grace in Romans 4. Through Christ, where we can find help in the time of need. Where he is compassionate. Where he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Where we can approach him. Through Christ. Notice how the Paul and his everything points to Jesus. You know, man, Pastor. You know, this church is always talking about Jesus. Yeah. The minute I stop, I promise you I'll personally leave. Because then it's no longer what we're supposed to be. The minute I stop, you should tell me to leave. And get someone that will do it. Really, I'm not afraid of that because I know what I'm going to do when I come up here. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about the fact that you can approach him, that you can have peace with him, that you can have access to him. And if you have him, you have everything. Well, what do I do, Pastor? I don't know, man. Your life is so complicated. So is mine. What do I do? I don't know what to tell you to do. Why don't you get close to Christ and ask Him what you should do? And He'll take you down the right path at the right time with the right solution and blessings and peace and joy. It's Him you need. It's Christ you need. That's why we talk about Christ. Once you get with Him you'll see your life move in a different direction and he'll take you all the way to the finish line. He'll never let you down. You'll let him down. You'll disappoint him, but he'll never disappoint you. There'll be times where he, you feel like he's not near you, but he is because he's trying to get you to draw near. 
He's trying to get you to be close even though you don't feel like he is. Even though your circumstances don't seem like he is. Because he wants you to stick close to him no matter what and to see if your faith is genuine. Because then he can work with you because you're willing to work with him. That's how it works. Go to any job and see how long they stick with you if you don't stick with them. If you don't draw near to the plan and the purposes of that business and the reason you were hired, see how long in the world they'll keep you. They'll kick you out faster than you can count to three. In the temple, there was this court of the Gentiles. There was this court of the women, as I described. There was a physical barrier that actually separated the Jews from the Gentiles. Verse 15 says, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God, that is Jews and Gentiles, in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby killing the hostility. So the source of contention was a law. The Jews kept it. The Gentiles didn't. And that's what separated them. They were like, no, you're not keeping the law. So since Christ fulfilled the law for us in his life, then, and not only fulfilled the law for us, he bore the penalty of the law in his body. Whoever puts their faith in him, whether you're Jew or Gentile, become one. That's why the body of Christ is everyone. No one's separated. All right? So the giving of the law was originally designed to isolate Israel and to point them out as a holy nation. But there was going to be a time in the future where the wider blessing of knowing God would be for everyone through Christ. So he annulled the law as a way for righteousness. And he says, if you will believe in my son and what he did for you at Calvary's cross, you will be declared righteous. And that's anyone. Right? So the just shall live by faith. The just, who are they? Anyone who will believe. Right? So the law is annulled not in that it's still not true, but it's not a way to righteousness. It's no longer an issue that separates us. We all are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. You come by faith. So then verse 17 appears, down at the bottom here. It says, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, and peace to those who were near. He preached peace to both the Jews and the Gentiles, those that were afar off and those that were near. And through him, we both have access in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. How do we have access through the Spirit? It's the Spirit that prompts us. It's the Spirit who convicts us. It's the Spirit who helps us, who teaches us, who gives us the, uh, the inclination to understand what we're supposed to do, having heard his word, which was written by the Spirit, through the pens of these apostles. So we're no longer, verse 19, no longer strangers and aliens. To who? To God. We're no longer strangers and aliens. He knows you, you know him. Citizens of a heaven 
right? But you are fellow citizens with the saints, saints who are believers, those who have been set apart, and members of the household of God, the church, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I don't know if you've ever seen a cornerstone. They don't use cement. They build these stones. And the interesting thing about this cornerstone, it was the one at the top, the one you would think would fall on you without cement. But here's how it was built. And then there were stones over here. It can't possibly fall because gravity holds it together because this, this is the stone right here. It just lays on, and here are other stones. It just lays on it. And it's so heavy it won't move this way. He's saying that's the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the anchor, if you would. We're no longer strangers or aliens, but fellow citizens and saints of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The foundation is built on the apostles and the prophets. The apostles, for instance, Paul. Whose letter am I reading and, write, and teaching from? Paul. He's the apostle. God sent him. And Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, the whole, the whole matter rests on Christ, in whom the whole structure, the building, being joined together, that's talking about the body, the church, grows into a whole, not a building of rocks and stones, but people. It says, in whom the whole structure being joined together, how? Through faith in Christ, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, we're, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not some building. This is just where we meet. In him you are also built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. How close is God to you? We who were once far. How close is he to us? He's so close he's in us. Not just next to us. Although that's true too. He's in us. You have in you the creator of the universe. You have in you the savior. You have in you the king of kings, the Lord of lords. In you. He lives in your heart if you've received him by faith. So that's chapter 2, church. Um, it's a lot to chew on. But I tell you what, what it does for me is it gives me the confidence it gives me the assurance to know what he has to say about how all this works. And I think I'm going to go with him. I think I'm going to roll with him. Amen. I hope you do too. I hope you'll roll with him. Uh, he'll take you to places and do things with your life that you never imagined. Especially when it comes to the spiritual aspect of your life. Amen. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your great love for us. And we can see in history, in the Old Testament, in the children of Israel, the temple, and uh, all this, these things that, uh, that you uh, put together and established. We can see a pattern. We can see a picture of how it works. And so we need to plug in. We need to believe it. We need to accept it by faith genuinely in our hearts. And you will do, and you have done the part that you said you would, and that is securing our salvation and bringing peace into our hearts. And we won't find it in the world. We won't find it in any, anything else, whatever it may be. Uh, 
everything else will lead us further down into um, this place, Lord, of desperation and hopelessness. But it's only you who gives us hope, and it is only you that gives us a purpose. It's only you, Lord, that gives us uh, peace and joy. And we thank you for that. Help us to hold tight to you. Help us to stay near to you. And that's where all the difference makes. It's you. Not, it's, not, it's not like a necessarily... We're not talking about like rules and rituals and uh, traditions and ceremonies. We're talking about you. Just you. Getting close to you. And that, that's what changes everything. That's what makes the difference. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings. We're going to have our offering right now. Who can help me? Oh, I have a mic up there. Who you want to? Oh, look. We got Cassandra. She'll help. Thank you, Cassandra. By the way, hi. Happy birthday, by the way. Cassandra celebrated her birthday this week. So, was that like a. 20 now or 19? Oh, wow. We knew her when she was like, yeah, somewhere in there, huh? Praise the Lord. So happy birthday, many more great years. And we'll, we'll pray for the offering right now. I just wanted to say that. Uh, thank you, Father. Thank you for uh, everything we have. And um, we know that all good things come from above. Our jobs uh, or whatever way we are able to earn and income. We know that comes from you, and so we want to simply return to you, Lord, that which you require of us, and we want to do it with a hilarious heart, a cheerful heart, uh, not a, with constraint or obligation, but Lord, because we love you, and we trust you, and we want to contribute and uh, support this ministry uh, where we are um, blessed to hear your word. Uh, we thank you and ask you to not just bless the giver, uh, if there's someone that's not able to give, we pray, Lord, that you would also make provision for them. But we ask also that you uh, bless and guide and lead those that are going to distribute it, how it's going to be used. Our prayer is that it would be used for your honor and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.